Welcome to episode five of Destigmatized, where we talk about mental health issues, having casual conversations in order to help destigmatize and demystify mental health issues. My name is Adam Kavlin. I'm here with longtime friend Daniel Benny. How's it going, Danny? Uh, I am in day question mark of 14 days of isolation in Israel. I jumped on a plane to see my, my mom for her birthday. And um, I feel like I got over a jet lag hump. I thought I was going to be losing my mind in the isolation, but I've been preoccupied with my circadian rhythm being completely effed. Um, so I feel pretty good about that being over. I'm, I'm at least halfway done. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely cool to talk to you so I can have some social interaction because I can literally be inside these walls for like, oh my God, so long, so long. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta keep yourself busy in quarantine. Melanie's also in quarantine right now in Canada. Oh yeah, I think she's going through the same thing, going a little stir crazy. Yeah, it's like professional timeout. It's like all of the timeout we had growing up was gearing up for this one. <laughs> Only we had gotten more practice. Right. Only my parents were stricter. I wouldn't be having such a hard time. Um, how's your mood been in general? Um, so I think like um, there was like an article someone sent me in June. So I don't know what month that is of quarantine. Of talking about the burnout feeling of like the exhaustion of, of being inside all the time. And I think that's re- that really re- re- resonates. Um, they're talking about how our bodies are not meant to, it's like we're all being traumatized as if it's like a national uh, natural disaster, but we're still dealing with it. Usually like you get this like burst of adrenaline and that's why the first few months were kind of, fine like oh it's like something new it's novel but then like you just start getting tired you just feel sleepy and so that's been like you know i think a shared collective uh unconscious feeling uh, but this year has also been some time to you know really work on myself do some things uh which i feel really grateful for um i'm still employed um, able to help support uh, my family, which was going through some some stuff, and uh, found some love this year. Which is honestly like whenever you whenever someone would ask me like how has your year been, I'm like I can't not think about that. So that was a huge huge lifesaver. Love is good, um, and to be in Israel after you know not seeing my mom and my siblings here for like it's almost like two years. Uh, COVID really screwed up my uh, my travel plans for that. Uh, it feels nurturing. It feels good. But also it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like I think isolation the, is just weird. It's just no matter what. It's like we're so used to this thing that's weird. Yeah. I think that a lot of people are going to uh, relate to what you just said. Yeah. And also yeah. that point about like how it's a trauma. It's so weird because it's like, I mean, I don't know that much about trauma, but every like mental health professional, aka the two therapists that I've had during quarantine, yeah. <laughs> have said <laughs> have said that uh, like we're going, everyone's going through trauma right now. Obviously, on varying degrees, but 
it's kind of like a secret trauma. It's like, we don't, we don't really, this isn't what we typically identify as trauma. Um, So it's it's taking a very weird form and uh, um, notice, we don't really notice what's going on. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm like a sort of amateur, like into, into psychology and I think it was young, but basically like, there's no, basically he said like there's no cure for like the collective sadness of being human, which is the you know fact that we're all mortal and that we all um, have temporal lives, whatever you believe happens after this. And I feel like this experience is sort of bubbling up that collective unconscious sadness. Um, uh, it's taking that unconscious and bubbling it up from the um, unconscious to the conscious, right? It's making it more aware. And so um, Jung also talked a lot about the shadow and the shadow is sort of like your dark side. It's like where you, what makes you feel frustrated? What makes you feel uncomfortable? Um, how you're like when you're in that sort of down state. And now we're just like spending a lot of time in our shadow. We don't have the distraction. And so like, I definitely hit my shadow like low point. I was like depressed for a couple of weeks. Um, after writing like sort of a balancing beam of, okay, this is fine. March, May, March, April, May, that's fine. And then it's like, you have to deal with your shadow. Like you can't get away from it. Your shadow is there. You can't pretend it away. You can't get away from it. And uh, another guy that I really uh, follow uh, about Jungian psychology says that the shadow is trying to show you the how to get through life. Because whenever you're, your shadow basically represents the things you're not aware of, right? That unconscious and the things you're not dealing with, the things that are, are problematic for you, your blind spots, your vulnerabilities um, are the things that if you ignore them, they're going to, you're going to deal with them in a, in a bad way. Um, but it's trying to show you how to take the next step to deal with the thing that's bothering you. And unfortunately for a lot of people, especially young people, I saw a crazy statistic. It was like a quarter of the people age 18 to 29 have been contemplating, have contemplated suicide during this time, which is like, whoa, like we had, I knew we had a mental health crisis, but like, that is a lot. It's kind of like, you know, they don't have the facilities or the support system to deal with their shadow. Right. Cause like, if you don't have hope, if you just believe this is going to be permanent, then, you know, ending it all might feel like the right, like best thing. And, um, but I also think there's a lot of beauty that comes from going into the darkness because there's a lot of growth and a lot of um, healing that comes from getting in touch with those things that you've been distracting yourself away from being inside so much. I think you've also become so much more introverted probably as a society because we don't have the tolerance for so much stimulation. And so I've noticed my introverted side coming out way more. So yeah, like it's like this crazy obstacle course in your mind that you're going through. And I feel really sad for a lot of the people who it's, it's causing a lot of pain and it's still causing a lot of pain, but um, it is not without its like um, beauty. Last thing I'll say is that I, I feel like, right before COVID and even with Trump with sort of heightening everyone's awareness about politics and stuff in the world, 
like we were still kind of asleep like as a society like and i it sounds weird and i don't mean to be pretentious but the music i'm really into music the music felt like it was a little bit um le like a little less meaningful a little more shallow a little more happy-go-lucky yeah we're so young we're never gonna die like da 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 and like you know the renaissance went, was right at, was right around the time of the black plague and like these events make art more important right I, I i remember when the first weeks of covid were happening people were like playing music from their balconies or like um you know crazy beautiful orchestra music in the in the steps of a uh, roman staircase in rome or the spanish steps in rome and and it's like man like yes it's super dark but like that's when like humanity like shows you like it's true character because people have like every opposite every reaction is an opposite reaction so um was that enough talking did i say enough <laughs> there's no too much there's no not enough i i actually want to explore that idea of the shadow that you were talking about i'm somewhat familiar yeah. but i think that there is a need for a lot of people in order to deal with their mental health issues to create a figure or an object um you know we there's a lot of work about like visualization um you know what is your anxiety what color is your anxiety um you know what color is your depression all these types of things it seems like you gravitate towards that idea. yeah what about that feels easier to conceptualize or yeah just talk more about that yeah so um uh, i'm really into personality archetypes which you know the shadow is an archetype from young and he has a bunch of them um they're like sort of shared narratives that all humanity naturally forms through just like living a human life and so everyone know like when i say the word shadow you might not no one needs to read young to know what that means because it's just like you live that life like you're human so you know what i'm talking about um uh and i'm really into the enneagram and the enneagram type i am is a four and the four is called the romantic or the individualist and the four is very adept at going into the shadow because it likes to go into the shadow because it feels very strongly like the things that are meaningful about life happen in the shadow, right? Like the, like it like we like to romanticize our, it's like melancholy. Like uh, the metaphor for a four is like Eeyore, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he's always sad about his, his tail, like something's missing, something he, he's not enough. And so the four is constantly like longing for something. And like that longing is almost like that, where that shadow sense comes from. It's this like, sadness of like you know um i'm I, I the world is i'm bumping up against a staircase of in this uh in my development i'm trying to get to the next step of, of life and the interesting thing is that the shadow is really a mirror of your ego and your ego i don't mean pejoratively like um you're so egotistical but i mean the things that actually recharge you the things that energize you who, who you are when you're not in your shadow right it's like that 
the yin yang, right? It's the other side of that. But the thing is, is that um, in human development, we only really understand when we're younger how to access our ego easily because like we're, we're children and we want to like, we're super narcissistic and we, we like, we're, we're, we only want to be comfortable in the moment we are uncomfortable, we start crying. But our ability to develop comes from our ability to integrate our shadow more and more into our life, lives. Um, and so the way I like to think about it is it's not running away from your shadow. It's letting it sit next to you and giving it the space it needs so that it's um, taken care of, right? Like when you are doing something and you're being quote unquote mature, right? Like you, you used to do something a certain way. Like maybe you used to be a selfish person um, and you weren't considerate of other people's feelings. That's your unconscious. You're unconscious of how other people would feel. You're only worried about your own feelings. Um, but then you, your shadow beat you up about that because other people were like, why are you being so selfish? And then, then that made you go in your shadow because you didn't feel good to hear that. You feel guilty. So the guilt is in your shadow. You're, the, the, the voice of the guilt of your inner critic is the shadow talking to you, saying you did wrong. You shouldn't have done that. But when you start listening to the shadow and you start letting it, play a role in your life and before you go do something selfish you consider other people's feelings you have now integrated it you've now made it a part of your life you're able to and that is what maturity is to me is is taking the shadow listening to it uh giving having a healthy relationship to it and um allowing yourself to feel sad feel feel frustrated and then not go distract yourself and like drink or smoke or do something else that stimulates you for a temporary ego high, but like sit with it. And so, yeah, I, I think um, that is the nature of quarantine is that you don't get those easy outs anymore. And the shadow is like, I'm here, baby. We're, it's just me and you in this room. What do you, what do you want to do? You want to, you want to hang out or not? So, you talked about earlier feeling some depression in the beginning of quarantine. You kind of went through a low state. What was that like for you? What did it feel like? Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was like, it was like almost like returning to a place I had been because it's not the first time I had felt depressed. And it was, it was almost kind of like, you once I went almost I had a express ramp like lane directly to the lowest low for a very quick amount of time because I didn't have the ability to get out of it like I might have been before like there was a, an interruption right there was a trigger there was the context the quarantine and the, tr the trigger was, you know, something that was bothering me. We can get into it. Something that, that hurt me, that made me feel bad. And that combined with co quarantine and isolation created a despair, a dread, uh, uh, an in inability to not stay in the, in the shadow. And it was like, you know, laying in bed, like, you know, not, not able to work. I, I literally took a couple of days off of work. Luckily my job 
um, is really supportive with psychological health and I have a really good manager. So I'm super blessed for that. Um, and I think, and I feel bad whenever I think about other people who that's not real, that's not true for them. Uh, it's like, it's really screwed up. I think it's really screwed up that that's not something you can do, but I'm, I was blessed that I could do that. And I just needed that time to just let myself hit rock bottom. And it's funny because like I'd been on this, you know, sort of like almost enjoying the like amount of introversion I was getting for the few months before uh, that had happened. Um, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I have all this time with myself. I'm like going to make, the, I'm going to, I'm going to come out of this quarantine like a butterfly out of a cocoon. Like I know a lot of people probably felt like that. Like I'm going to have so much more time for, for all this shit. So I like, I, and I'm like very like self-growth oriented. Like I have like a spreadsheet where I track like every time I exercise, every time I do yoga, every time I read, like, and I was like checking every box. And then you just look like, we can pull up my spreadsheet for that two weeks and it's like freaking empty. It's like nothing happened that week. No journaling, no, no nothing. Uh, and I just didn't want to be myself. It was like, it was like a real deep amount of self-loathing um, and loneliness and not being able to relate to other people. And the interesting thing about it, and this is like the fourness in me, the Enneagram four, is that like I, the R types generally have a, tr a trouble with depression because we like chewing on feelings. Everyone like can like, oh, you got broken up with a uh, a girlfriend. Like you're gonna like long for her. So you fours like really do that overboard because it feels like they can't not because it feels so real. It's like your whole emotional world is controlled by this thing, and you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it returned me to this place that I felt the last time I had been depressed, which was when I had moved to Israel. After the recession, my family had like hit a really hard time financially. We moved from America where I lived in South Carolina and I didn't want to move to Israel and I was depressed for like a year and I like had no friends and it was just a tough and, and eventually ended up being a really important experience that I, I look back on like as a good thing. And then I now and now looking back on this experience in COVID, I think about this little two week episode as also a good thing because um, I don't know if coincidentally or not, it like led to, I believe the series of events that led me to meet the girlfriend that I have now who I'm deeply in love with. So it's life is funny like that. Um, and you know, in that time of like, Oh, you have to deal with this yourself. Like you have to pull yourself out of this hole. I feel like you, you know, you hit those rock bottom days and then you were like, wake up the next day after the rock bottom day. And you're like, all right, am I going to do that again? Is like, is, the, is like tomorrow going to be another self-loathing, not do anything day? And then you just like bounce back. And um, I like to think about mental health in terms of not am I not hitting those bottoms. It's how fast am I bouncing back, right? Because life is going to throw you, like you can't control getting your ass handed to you emotionally. You just can't. But you can improve your ability to bounce back quicker and with more resilience. And I think I think there's a lot to that. I was just going to 
you said it, but that word is resilience. And it's a huge concept in the, in the world of social work um, and psychology. And it is a huge determinant of mental health. Um, is how resilient you are and how you're able to respond in the face of crises. And there are so many different factors that go into your level of resilience. Um, A big one is your support system, your social support system, your support system with your family. And so I think that's, that's an interesting point. Like when we think about the things that, we know are conducive to good mental health. We need to like think about how we create those things in the first place. Yeah. Like a lot of times it's just like, Oh, uh, you know, good, uh, a good getting good sleep, um, a normal circadian rhythm, um, eating healthy, you know, as, as like general physical things. Um, and we don't talk about like, but like, how do I even begin to establish a good sleep routine? Like, what are the things that will lead me there in the first place? It's not as yeah. simple as just like, okay, I'm going to go to bed at 10 and I'm going to wake up at seven or whatever. Like, it's way more complicated than that for a lot of people. And same thing with diet and exercise. And then to extrapolate to things like resilience, like, okay, well, if I didn't have a good support system, if I know that that's something that is... Uh, is kind of like a prerequisite for something like resilience. Well, how do I even go about establishing a strong support system? Like these are really, really complicated questions. Yeah. And I think especially for people in your field, um, it's so that's why you're so essential because for a lot of people who, whose base needs are not met on the Maslow's hierarchy, like they just do not have the capacity and, you know, two socialists talking about this shit, we would not, we'd be remiss if we weren't talking about the greater forces of the economy that are crushing our souls. And we will not spend too much time talking about that. But like, we have to acknowledge the fact that um, even those things are not within our control. So we, we have the privilege of being able to support, to have those support systems, to be able to deal with our own mental health issues and, and, um, you know, part of life is also um, finding a way to contribute to society to help those that, that don't have that. Um, and I think we have to acknowledge that. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, and I'm, I'm currently in the process of uh, learning how to be a uh, integral coach, which is sort of like a fancy way of saying of a life coach, but with a specific method of integrating the different aspects of your life. Uh, into the development of you as a person and you're, t- you're you're hitting the nail on the head right like the resilience comes from a set of factors right that we want to harmonize and they it's it's there is no perfect calibration right it's a constant ritual um, but when you're intaking a person and when you're listening to them you're trying to see where the bumps are you're trying to understand uh, all of, of the different domains of their life, their their purpose, their their environment, their um, their behaviors or practices, you know what what's going well for them. What can what can you lean on that like they're already doing that can support them, and where where do they need the most support or the most attention? Uh, and everyone has their own unique uh, uh, 
you know, challenges. Um, and I will say that um, assuming a level of base needs being met and psychological safety being met, right? Um, I do think that there is a lot of, uh, of this, which is around language and narrative and awareness because so much of our mental health is predicated on beliefs and stories and conditioning that is held not just within our intellectual mind and our thinking mind, but within our heart and our bodies that cause us to react in fight or flight ways if we have anxiety or in depressed ways when those stories start being told again, right? That's why when I said, I felt like I had like this express lane into depression mode. It was because like the narratives were already formed, like the best, the, the, the neural pathways are well, well greased to be able to get me to that place. And, um, you know, one, one thing I wanted to talk about, and the reason I hit you up about it is uh, ADHD, which is um, something I, I deal with. And um, in the context of mental health, um, it's, like something that I struggle with even describing as like something uh, is as a degree of being unhealthy because to me it's a it's an aspect of me that I I think is actually a, a positive and I think a lot of people who have ADHD would would agree with that even though they struggle with it um, and being able to be aware of what your nature and your nurture is meaning the conditioning and the narratives that you form from that you were molded by as a child, but also like accepting that like you are as you are and that's totally fine are huge parts of the foundation of what allows you to, um, to, to cope, to deal. Because if you reject your own way of being, that is a one-way ticket to a lot of serious, serious um, ailments. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Some in some ways I feel like I know a lot about it and other ways I feel like I know nothing about it. Um and I think that the experience varies so much from person to person, especially totally. with ADHD. So, yeah, what is what does ADHD feel like to you? So, I've the best metaphor I ever heard and it is totally totally fair to say uh, it experiences people differently. I think in society, either because of societal reasons or physical reasons, it tends to uh, have a difference based on the, the sexes between men and women. Um, but that could be not true. I'm honestly not the business expert. My, my girlfriend has ADHD, but, and, and we talk a lot about how our, our symptoms are different. I'm more of the hyperactive, do-do-do. She's more of the um, reserved, like more lethargy is what she deals with more of a problem with. Um, so the, yeah, so the metaphor I'll use, basically, if you imagine that your brain is a whiteboard and things that are coming into your uh, awareness, thoughts or stimuli from the outside, like uh, your friend is talking to you, the way I perceive like a, a, a non-ADHD brain, it would be like you're writing those things down and you're writing them in a normal sized font on the whiteboard so that you can store everything. And as information comes in, you write it down and you have a large, a large, a large amount of space, a real estate on the whiteboard to process everything and everything fits in 
not maybe not perfectly, but it's like a, it's smooth and steady. For an ADHD brain, it's like I'm writing every word in huge font and it covers the entire whiteboard and every time a new word comes in, I have to erase it. So another way of thinking about it is like um, on a computer, you have a RAM, your memory, like how, how, how much processing, very low RAM because as things come into my awareness when I'm not medicated, I will react to them. So ADHD people generally have a lot of challenges with their executive function. So those are your motor skills, your remembering where you put stuff, um, driving literally, um, you know, coordination, because the outside world is throwing me baseballs and I keep trying to juggle them, right? I don't know why I'm ba juggling baseballs, like it's just a juggling ball. So that so that that makes it quite challenging to do things that society has always wanted me to do. So growing up, uh, and I was undiagnosed with ADHD until uh, I made I, I pushed myself to get it diagnosed when I was 26. So I spent most of my life basically thinking like that I was a smart, stupid person. Like I can get good grades, but I'm like lazy and I don't try hard enough. Um, or like I'm really good at I'm like very intellectual, but like. I filled my driver's test four times and like, you know, to be honest, like my dad made me feel pretty, my dad's just like, my parents are both uh, Israeli immigrants and the whole site, they're very psychological, psychologically skeptical. Cause like, you know, that's just that generation, the boot they're freaking boomers. Right. And I basically just felt like something was wrong with me. I would get lost on every family vacation. Like there are so many stories like that. Um, I would just do a lot of like unexplainable things to, to them, to anybody. And it caused me a lot of uh, heartache because I just, I just didn't like myself for those things. I, I, I still to this day, like I have an OCD about losing things. I feel super stressed at the idea of losing something. Um, um, but on the flip side, it's, I, I always also knew that the, that thing, which I didn't have the language for as being ADHD, was why I could do things that other people couldn't. Like, I don't know, the way I think is uh, at, a, at a different pace than most people. It, it's faster. Um, uh, my creativity, my whatever you want to, whatever you think is quality, a quality thing about me, I personally think you you don't get that without the ADHD. You just don't. Um, and, you know, I didn't realize what it would be like to be medicated. Like, I didn't know. I couldn't really put my finger on, like, what, what I was having a hard time with. Right? I just thought maybe I was just, like, like, I didn't know to the degree. I, like, oh, I maybe have ADHD, but, like, doesn't everybody feel like they have like a lack of focus? I'm not special. Um, and then, you know, just through dealing with my depression, therapy, there's an interruption. The therapist is like, eventually after a couple of years of therapy, a few, a couple of therapists, hey, this, this topic of ADHD comes up. I believe that's how it happened. Either that is what happened or I intentionally started realizing I have ADHD and I just wanted to explore it. Yeah, that's actually what happened. I was like, no, I want to get 
my intention was to get a therapist who can diagnose me because I started realizing I had it, had inventory, had it. Yeah, it was like, it was, that's what happened. I was reading articles on Reddit in the subreddit. If you have ADHD and you're listening to this, you need to go on this subreddit right now. And you have ADHD, so I know you're turning it on right now because you're impulsive like I am. Uh, go on the ADHD subreddit and read the posts because that was what allowed me to realize, like, holy shit, fucking exactly. Like, exactly. Like, you know what it feels like to just, like, stay up until three in the morning going through like a YouTube black hole and like not being able to fall asleep. Yup. You know, that and on and on. After finally having that interruption where I, I started taking medication, it was suddenly like, whoa, like I can just like think about something and do it. I don't actually want to multitask because my brain has this um, it's, it's almost like, and I think the way the neurochemistry works is because of that impulsive nature that every stimuli, stimuli I want to go towards, it's basically like my brain wants kind of like, um, you could say it's dopamine or whatever. I, it, it, some people would say like, when you look at the brain, the, 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 the neuro pathway that travels from receiving input to your reward center in your brain in an ADHD brain is longer. So it, requ it takes more stimulation for a ADHD brain to be stimula stimulated. So they're constantly seeking reward. They want to do things. So that's why you get both the laziness, which is like, I don't want to do something unless it's high reward or constantly, constantly reward seeking. I'm going to like watch YouTube until I pass out. Now you have this little pill in your body that's slowly releasing over the period of, and I have an extended release Adderall, like eight to 10 hours, little bits of reward so that I don't actually want so much reward. And now I can like sit down and focus. And if, you know, it, that's not a surprise to anyone who's heard about Adderall, but for me, who is like, I believe not just somebody who needs a, a pill to study, but like a pill to like walk down the street without getting distracted. It's just like a calming thing. I just feel calm. I just feel like, I still feel exuberant, but I can like, it's like, it's not, the peanut butter isn't chunky. It's like creamy, you know? It just like goes on nicer, you know? I like, I don't like stumble over myself. I can like remember where I put my keys down. Like things happen at a speed that is easier. I will say though that it is, it is, um, a lot of the drive for it is that working a nine to five job for someone for ADHD or you're not outside doing something different every day. Oh my fucking God. If I didn't have, I couldn't do it. I just don't, I would literally, I wouldn't be able to do it. And I think that is the economic part of it, which is like, maybe if I wasn't a capitalist society, I wouldn't need it, you know, but it is, and that's fine. And, you know, I can get the best of both worlds. I can be like a, chatterbox like I am right now and then like you know fill up a spreadsheet real quick so you know it, it's sort of like a superpower that is tame turned down a little bit is that enough is that a lot <laughs> like I said no such thing I was gonna ask that actually because I was I took medication for uh, everything in high school, but, um, I was always, 
afraid that it was going to make me lose part of myself and like something that I really liked. Um, like for example, the thing I struggle most with is depression and I, there's part of me that likes being depressed, um, which is something that I don't feel like is, uh, discussed too much, but I don't want to go into that right now, but I was afraid that I was going to like lose my sensitivity when I was taking, when I started taking medication, I was afraid that it'll, like it'll dull, dull the experience of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, because even though I was so down and sad a lot of the times, there was like something kind of romantic about it. And I don't mean to romanticize um, depression because I know that's, that's an issue in its own right. But I think that it deserves to be talked about that feeling of being of, of, kind of being like attached to your mental health issue. So did you experience any of that? Yeah. You know, there was a point in like the year one or two of taking ADHD medication that I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. It was like a very short amount of time. Um, And I was like, am I like not as, into interested that was what i was worried about am i going to be less exuberant about things um it was a little tougher though because i was also taking an anxiety medication with the so i couldn't tell which one it was at that point i was more i was thinking it was more the anxiety medication than anything um but yeah it's kind of like look you grew up with with an identity formed around what it's like to be you and then your neurochemistry changes and it's uncomfortable to not be feel familiar right and your brain and your body wants you to go back to what what you know and that's part of like depression also is um you know i think that big mouth has such a good way of talking about depression with their little purple cat like that is exactly what that's like because it's comfortable. You just know it. It's just, it's just nice in a way. And also anyone who likes crying in sad movies like I do um, also likes that part of it, which is like, again, melancholy. You know, there is, there is a sort of like realness to sadness. But the thing is, is that if we value those things, we can't let our values get distorted and become a cost to us. I value eating chocolate cake. I'm going to switch that. I value eating strawberry shortcake, which is my favorite dessert. If I valued it over everything and that's all I did, I would not, that would not be good. That'd be a distortion. So you have to always be careful when you, when your values start coming into play, um, that they're not being used against you because they're very hard to shake away because your narrative about the things you value is that they're you. It's like, yeah, to what point it's, it's, it's a balancing thing, but overall I will say that I don't think that Adderall or any ADHD medication is a fit for everyone. I think that it's, you know, any medical therapy, 
it's a trial and error. I think that some people might get prescribed it and it's not maybe a fit for them. I definitely, there was definitely a stigma though that I was dealing with where some people were actually worried that that was my case. And I think that's not true, but there was, there was part of me that was wondering if like I was being a hypochondriac and that's my like inner critic voice of like the societal stigma of like taking care of your mental, mental situation. But, you know, it is true that, you know, some people get misdiagnosed for stuff all the time. You know, some doctors probably just want to give you an answer or maybe you're looking for it. But um, I would say it has been one of the most important changes in my life because what has given me is two things. It has given me a, it has given me the tools to deal with the day-to-day tasks and responsibilities that are increasingly growing as being a, an adult in quote unquote adulting, which I'm learning right now, by the way, did you know that like adulting is, an, is like a thing millennials like to say that, that Zoomers like to make fun of adulting. It's funny. Yeah, like, I know. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 a, I'm adulting right now. Adderall is me adulting guys. Yeah. Um, but the second thing that I almost feel like is more important than that, because I could live with not adulting in a, if I lived on a farm, maybe. Um, is an acceptance of what I am like and that all of the pain of feeling different because I was like that, all the self-rejection was unnecessary because our neurochemistries are different and should be celebrated for being different. And neurotypical people are the majority, and I don't know if they're the majority of society, but the archetype of what society wants the majority to be like, and that we enforce upon people as being neurotypical. And that's bullshit. And when people can see that, their, 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 chem, their, their chemical makeup or their predispositions are a certain way, and just like accept them, you know, now, you know, I'll tell you a funny story, and there's a lot of hilarious shit that having ADHD um, allows you to, to tell stories about. I, like, came home one day from, like, a bar, and I was, like, drunk, and I don't know. I wasn't drunk. I was just, like, kind of buzzed, and I, like, wanted to eat, for some reason, uh, like, peanut butter and um, <laughs> frosted mini-wheats. Which was way better when you were at that state at that time at like two in the morning. The next morning, my roommate is like screaming, not even like in like a angry way, but in like a what the fuck? Because there's like cereal all inside of the peanut butter, like so much cereal. <laughs> I've left like my my keys in the refrigerator before. Like I just douche. I don't know. I don't remember. I'm like like Dory from um, Finding Nemo is the most famous ADHD person uh, character in in um, pop culture. God bless Dory, because like that's that's what we are, and this it's that's it's all good. That's that's so funny. I think I knew you had severe ADHD like the day I met you. <laughs> That was like, before I got diagnosed. I know, I know. 
Um, and I think I knew you for a little bit, like before we got close, you know, in college. Um, and I also, I think I was, I was like around ADHD a lot when I was younger and I, I did take medication for it in high school and I had a very strange experience because I, they didn't really like know what was wrong with me, <laughs> but they were basically trying to like the metric for whether medication worked for me was if I was getting good grades in high school because like that was totally. the problem. So Hell yeah, gotta they, love that shit. All of a sudden I remember getting prescribed, uh, some ADHD medication and I literally was getting like hundreds on every single test quiz, like staying after school for hours. Cause I was, I didn't like, I felt like uncomfortable, but I was literally on speed and just like super. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and oh honestly, that was probably an indication that I was misdiagnosed. Um, but anyway, I, I, I don't know why I brought that up, but I think uh, like ADHD is something that I think is as common as it is. I think it's really, really misunderstood. Um, and I think that you touched on a lot of those points and uh, helped clarify, you know, what that experience is like uh, yeah. in a great way because it's people hear ADHD, like everyone knows what it is pretty much, or they think they know what it is. And I think they have this idea in their mind, just like a hyperactive little kid, like running around and not being able to do anything and focus on anything. Right. And they, they don't, they don't think, they think it's uh, either a challenge to be curbed, right? Like this is an aspect of your personality that is, is a trouble. Um, They also might not like in the case of, uh, you know, my girlfriend, who has it, um, they might not understand that the flip can be true, which is it's not the hyperactive kind, it's the sedentary kind, which is that you have too much, tr- you have trouble gaining activation energy. So th- that, that I think is, is, is misunderstood. But I do think that sometimes we have to look at what our little brothers and sisters and our children and our friends and family members who, who might be near that um, you know, de- dealing with that and look at like in the context of their life, how does that play a role? Right. And I think that people who have ADHD, they can't just rely on medication because the other part of the acceptance is allowing yourself to be given what it needs. And people with ADHD, you know what they need? They got to do new shit all the time. And that's cool. Like, if you think you're going to get someone who has ADHD to do the same thing day in, day out, and be happy with it, no matter how much medication you give them, not going to work. Because the, the, to me, the beautiful part about it is that it is a desire to consume all the different aspects of life that we feel connected to. And that may be that one aspect of life is not enough. It's like you go into the ice cream store and you want all the flavors. You know, 
I can't just learn one instrument. I got to learn all of them. Because, yeah, it's, it, you know, I might be a jack of all trades, master of none type. Because it's hard for me to stick with something. I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, it's not as easy for me to be a finisher, especially on non Adderall. But it's like, you know, who, what needs starters? Uh, being in a meeting. You know who wants to talk in a meeting? People with ADHD. They just want to get involved. You need that shit. You don't. You can't tell me you don't need that shit. People who just want to do and just try. So like, now it just feels like a chip on my shoulder. Now I'm like, oh, I see this fucking game. I see this game that we were playing this whole time. You guys think that the game is that I can't be a starter and I'm going to sit in this goddamn chair for 50 minutes in eight periods a day and be bored out of my freaking mind and like that's my fault it's like okay cool i played your game i'm done with that game and now i'm gonna torque the system to fit me and you know um not to, to go on like one little tangent about personality um which is like i every time i have a conversation with someone more than 30 minutes there's always the personality tangent um, there is a aspect of personality in Jungian psychology, which is about people who are um, gatherers of new information. Uh, they their their leading cognitive functions are about new new information gathering either like um, everyone from like uh, people who like have a lot of ideas people who are really um, good at like sports who like are really good at collecting information in real time about the physical environment, people who are good actors and people who are comedians, people who are teachers, people who are like all the new, like all the new things in life they're just going towards. Um, they, they, they commonly have ADHD and what I think is cool is that I feel like bonded by, I feel like a, 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 a belonging to this kind of group of people who are seekers and gatherers. And I see our, our, our group as playing a role in this puzzle of society, which is like, we're supposed to go and gather new shit so that other people can finish things. And if we can just be allowed to play the role in the village that we were given by um, the flying spaghetti monster, um, then things would be better for us. I love that. So we're approaching the end here. Unfortunately, this has been a great conversation. I love. Yeah, it's been awesome. I love your insight. I, I feel like I learned oh, something new every time. We speak, we have a real conversation. Yeah. Can you give some advice to your fellow ADHD kin? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. ADHD, uh, whether, whether, whether they're currently experiencing it, whether they think they might have it, whether they're on medication yeah. and just general. Yeah. So uh, anyone who doesn't know, I definitely think that uh, 
read resources, crowdsource knowledge, don't deal with this stuff alone, talk to people, go on that subreddit. Like if you, if you are reading that and it feels like a little ping in your heart, like that's me, definitely read that. Um, there are inventories that you can take that allow you to sort of estimate um, where you're at. So definitely get, get knowledge would be the first thing. The second thing is if you're already dealing with it and it's still frustrating or you're like in the process of figuring out how to deal with it in your life, you're not alone. Like that's sort of the beautiful thing is that like you know how many people who have this stuff feel frustrated like you do that like you can't go to bed at a normal hour, that you can't, you, you lose misplaced things, that you can't finish things, you, what, what you start as easily, that you, you're, you're always... Um, you know, you, you feel like you, you just can't conform. I know, I know it's really, it's a challenge. Um, but it's not a sentence. You're not being sentenced to a life of being a squeaky wheel that can't like you're supposed like, that's what you're supposed to be. That's exactly how you're supposed to be. And it's beautiful. And I love you and cherish it and find ways to bring it into your life in a positive way. Um, notice how it helps other people, I think is a really important thing. Because you think the things that you're really good at are bullshit. Because you think you don't realize how difficult it is to be a quick thinker, for example. Some people are the opposite. They can't think as quickly as you. They can't... Um, be as excited by as many different things. And you think that that's a problem and actually it's a, it's a gold mine. And so cherish that. Um, um, and then the third thing would be like, get exercise. Uh, your cardiovascular system is your friend. Meditate if you can, but I think exercise, I would put a little bit more important as, than meditation because um, look, you, if you, if you had a dog and your dog was, freaking out because you didn't take it for a walk, what would you do? You have a little puppy in your head and it needs to go out for a run. Do something because like you, you, it's, it ain't going to work. We got we to gotta run more than most people. It's just how it is. And, it, and it's fine. But if you, wanna, if you want some help, that'll, that's, a, that's a really important thing too. Um, or what, whatever you can do. I don't know if maybe you have a disability. It, it might be not as easy, but like that, that's definitely key so yeah um and also just like love yourself don't forget to love yourself every every day find a new way to love yourself amazing take care of the little puppy in your head yes um, yeah name it name it give it a breed <laughs> make sure you know it's a bit what specific pissing shitting dog it is so you can always remember that's what's going on Danny, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank Always you. Always a pleasure. Yalla, I'll talk to you.